My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with René Vaugeois and Dan Scratch. Bringing concern for social justice to the realm of education can mean a lot of different things. At the most obvious level, it can mean a shift in the content of what is talked about in the classroom. That is, talking directly about the kinds of issues and struggles that are so central to the world we live in, but that are often erased from the conversations that take place in elementary and high schools. Beyond talking about issues and struggles with a focus on their impact out there, however, social justice education means having hard conversations with students about the issues and struggles that shape their lives, both those through which they experience harm and those where they are complicit. And it means working to transform how classrooms work. For all that teaching today is usually less obviously yes-sir-no-ma'am knuckle-wrapping strict than it might have been 50 years ago, the standard model for how classrooms function remains authoritarian, with the teacher determining what happens and how. Social justice education envisions classrooms that are democratic and equitable, where the learners exert power over the space, over the content, and over the conversation. And of course, the impact that a social justice lens can bring to education is not only about individual classrooms, but about the school system as a whole. Whether it's the lack of safety experienced by many queer and trans students, the disproportionate disciplinary targeting of black and indigenous students that so often leads to criminalization, or rape culture encoded in things like dress codes and teacher attitudes, the education system as a whole is a site for the same kinds of marginalizations that plague the rest of society. Social justice education means working to dismantle those barriers and building the capacities of marginalized students and their communities to challenge the inequities that they face when it comes to schooling. Dan Scratch is a high school teacher in Edmonton, Alberta. Over his decade as a teacher in Alberta, Ontario, and Nova Scotia, he has worked hard to incorporate attention to questions of social justice and human rights into his teaching practice. René Vaugeois is the executive director of the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights. It's an organization focused on using the framework of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights to build a culture of peace and human rights, particularly via encouraging dialogue and education about how they apply in our local contexts. A few years ago, Scratch joined the board of the John Humphrey Center. He was having a conversation with Vaugeois about the challenges that social justice-oriented educators face in many places, and certainly in Alberta, of isolation and a range of institutional barriers. They realize that for such teachers, having the opportunity to be in community with, learn from, and exchange support with other educators with similar values would be very helpful. Vaugeois was also hearing, via other community-based work that the John Humphrey Center was doing, about the experiences of, for instance, students from the indigenous and Somali-Canadian communities in Edmonton and elsewhere in Alberta in the face of racist disciplinary practices, criminalization, and other forms of discrimination in schools. 
Students and parents in those communities were wanting to learn how to advocate for themselves, but had little opportunity to get to know how the system works. They organized a three-day conference this past summer for educators with an interest in social justice, where they understood educators to be not just classroom teachers, but also other professionals in schools and people with educational roles in other settings in the community. About 30 people attended, including educators from the Indigenous and Somali communities. It was a relatively participant-directed gathering that involved lots of discussion about social justice education and about the issues that students, families, and teachers are facing. And it resulted in the founding of a new network for social justice educators in Alberta called the RAD Educator Network. They aim for it to be a way to talk about issues, to share strategies, and to support each other. They hope that it will reduce the isolation that many of them feel in Alberta, and perhaps become a nucleus for supporting justice, equity, and democracy in individual classrooms and in the school system as a whole. They're planning to do regular meetups for members throughout the school year, and to have another conference in the summer of 2019. As well, the John Humphrey Centre and members of the network will be working with parents in Indigenous and Somali communities in the province to build capacity around advocacy in the school system. I speak with Vaujois and Scratch about social justice education and about the new RAD Educator Network in Alberta. My name is Renee Bourgeois, and I'm a mother and a sister and a caregiver, but I'm also at the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights. I'm the executive director there and was part of spearheading and building this network. The John Humphrey Center is an organization that's been around for quite some time. Our mandate is to promote and promulgate the values and principles of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights through human rights education. We see bringing human rights to life is all about creating spaces where we're engaging in dialogue and constructive conversation about rights and learning about them. So we seek to open conversations about human rights and how they apply within our local context. But also we really strive to create spaces where we can create networks and teams supporting each other in their efforts to advance human rights. So we've been working in schools for many, many years and saw that there was a need to start bringing teachers together who were really committed to human rights. And hence, we worked together to start this radical educator network. My name is Dan Scratch. I'm a teacher here in Edmonton. I've taught in Nova Scotia and Ontario as well. Over my decade of practicing teaching, I've worked for social justice as well as I've known how to, and that's a process I'm continuing to learn and evolve in. And that's part of the reason why this network came to be, to establish some community and relationships with folks in the education system who are working towards the same thing. The reason why social justice is important for me is I was a former student who struggled in high school. I had difficulties sitting in class, understanding what was going on, you know, having some adversarial relationships with teachers myself. I think I had, looking back, a pretty arrogant view of, I thought I could do it better than they could, so I want to get into teaching, which is not always the best reason to get into teaching, but I wanted to be something different or reimagine what education and teaching could be. And in that role, I came across a lot of great people in my life who introduced me to critical pedagogy and social justice education and texts and experiences that could help me reimagine what education could be. What kind of relationship do students and teachers have together that's based on justice and equity and democracy and, and not just an authoritarian approach? So for me, it's been with that background, working across three provinces now, trying to figure out what that means. 
know, just having a conversation with a fellow educator today about how we've really found models of what that looks like as younger teachers coming up. And we have to kind of just trial by error, figure it out. What does social justice education mean within the classroom? The book, my teaching years have been spent at a school called Inner City High School here in Edmonton, working with marginalized or vulnerable youth. What they taught me about school and education and their lives, dealing with issues of homelessness and addiction and, and other issues, they really impacted me not just as a teacher, but more importantly as a person. How do I use my privilege as a teacher and a white straight man for good? How can I use that to be an ally to students within the education system? And how do I be the teacher that they need me to be? Elaborate a bit more about how a teaching practice informed by social justice might look different than a conventional teaching practice. Where I would start is the relationship teachers have with students. That is the heart of any good teaching practice, the relationship you have. Most teachers, I would argue, we still operate and we still trained and we still model a very authoritarian style of teaching practice where the teacher is the arbiter of power in the classroom, decide the rules, decide the expectations, the students follow and obey. If they don't, there's consequences. Not to say everyone does it that way, absolutely not, but there's a traditional model there that I think is still relatively popular. So social justice would argue that that relationship with students needs to be founded on equity. That doesn't mean that in a classroom, I don't have any power. It's not just chaos and people doing whatever they want. But we work together on establishing our group norms, our common values, our group expectations. And, you know, my role is to ensure that the classroom is to remain a safe, positive space where everybody belongs. So that's the heart of where you start with social justice education. Social justice requires a democratic classroom where you have, you know, weekly or bi-weekly meetings with the class to go over how are things going, what can we improve, what, what can we do better, asking student input, allowing students to have choice on how they demonstrate their knowledge, offering projects that are connected to the real lived experience of the youth you serve. On top of that, social justice education is bringing up the hard topics of conversation, you know, introducing and exploring issues of race, class, gender, sexuality, ability, colonialism, and many others. To me, that is social justice education. The reason why I believe it's so important is there's no guarantee what kind of formal education students receive after high school. And so for them to start wrapping their heads around, considering and exploring these issues at a young age, not just in high school, but even before high school and elementary as well, is really important if we're going to create a society that values justice and equity for all. I'm coming more from the community-based angle where I'm seeing a lot of students and families fall through cracks you know, a lot of conversations about the school to prison pipelines and quotas. And so when we apply a human rights lens to education, it's really thinking about who's the most vulnerable or who are the most marginalized. And I think when we start to apply that lens, we start to look at a whole school approach where we're recognizing the needs of students and we're not necessarily trying to label them. We're trying to identify the best learning approaches for each student. But when there are problems, we recognize that it's not just a student, it's a lot of the outcomes of this work and what's been happening alongside this work for us has been in our collaboration with Indigenous communities as well as the Somali communities here in Edmonton and across the province. One of their loudest needs that they're telling us is they need to learn how to advocate within the school system. They're struggling with that, but there's also no formal organizations that provide advocacy support in school. So helping people navigate or helping witness so we're really kind of coming at this from a community-based advocacy approach and how do we strengthen the community to better support the families. So how did the process of founding the Rad Educator Network get started? I think Renee and I had lunch a couple summers ago. 
I had recently joined the board of the John Humphrey Center. And so we were just having lunch and talking about ideas. And we kind of got in the conversation of the need to bring some teachers together, some educators together to build some community. And it started off that simply of an idea. And then we started having more meetings, more conversations. And eventually the idea of the Rad Educator Network came to be where we would host a three-day summer gathering with roughly 30-ish teachers and spend a couple of days really digging into the issues that we see in schools and our classrooms and, and the education system and what we can do about it and how can we sustain this work going forward. What we were seeing in our work at the John Humphrey Center is that we've always struggled with long-term engagements in schools. Our work in schools is dependent on the transience of teachers in many ways. And we find that a lot of those teachers that are committed to social justice are quite isolated or if any of them that were quite vocal experience repercussions as a part of being vocal. So there was a real culture of not speaking out and addressing barriers for education and equitable education and social justice education. So we really realized and we've learned from our work over the years that we really need to create these safe spaces where like folks can be independent of their employer or these public institutions to feel like they can get things out. There's real beauty in people coming together and being able to share those challenges in a space where it can be constructive. And we're all about translating into action. And so the idea was if we could bring a bunch of the educators together that are really committed, that maybe feel a little bit isolated in their work, we just felt there's so many challenges in the education system. And if we can't have safe spaces to talk about them outside of the unions, even, for example, then we're not going to ever get anywhere. So this is, I guess, a dream of really starting to spark some more systemic changes. That's really the nail on the head right there, just creating a safe space. With my experience in two other provinces, the culture, I believe, in Alberta is just a little bit different than other provinces. And there's a real fear of teachers not being able to like, even tell the principal they're dealing with social justice issues in their classroom. It's almost you have to be quiet or subversive about it. And so making it safe to not only talk about social justice, but we can also talk about what does social justice look like from more of an equity point of view and looking at our education system, who is the system benefiting and who is not benefiting yeah. from the system as well. As soon as Dan and I started talking about it, I started building it into proposals and stuff. So we were able to <laughs> secure the resources to make it happen. And we did some targeting out of invitations to teachers that we knew would be really good for the network. But then we also just blanketed out and opened it up to the broader community. So over Facebook and stuff like that. So it really brought together quite a diverse group of teachers. And what happened at that initial gathering this past summer? I believe we got really lucky because we got folks, you know, from the Somali community coming out. We got folks from the Indigenous community coming out, folks from diverse backgrounds. And, and I think through our discussions early on, we decided to use the term educator very broadly. We're not just looking at educator in terms of like a K-12 to classroom teacher, but educator as a person who works in the school in some capacity. So you might be a social worker or youth worker, or you're an educator outside of a traditional school in some other capacity with an organization, just people who are working within education or around education who would like to be talking about equity and social justice with like-minded folks. Wanted to be organic. We didn't want to create this like overly structured gathering where we had everything planned to a T for folks. We wanted to be flexible and adaptable to the needs of the people coming. And, you know, we didn't necessarily know where the conversations were going to take us and what things were going to be needed to get done. So we just wanted to have an adaptable and flexible gathering. Most of the gathering took place sitting in a circle, getting to know each other talking about the issues that matter, and then talking about where do we go from here? How do we stay connected? 
breaking out into smaller groups and doing that kind of thing. But the real theme of it was to try and be led by the participants there as much as possible with providing the structure as well. We also had one speaker come in to kind of probe everybody's thoughts and challenge them a little bit. And then we were also guided by an elder, Gary Moostus, throughout the whole process and really made connecting to the land a priority because we knew educators were going to be coming out of a pretty stressful school year. And the pedagogy of the approach, as Dan said, was really loose. It was kind of based on this idea of the folk school model, where it's about being together as well as working together. You know, everybody had to contribute to cleaning up and dishes and all these things. So it really created this environment of being together, but yet being connected to the land and each other. Why was it important that this become a network as opposed to just be a one-time gathering? Part of this, I feel, is just my own self-interest. Of I want to meet with people all the time. So <laughs> part of it is like a one-time thing is great where you can learn, you can make some connections, take it back to your community. But we know that the work of social justice education and equity in schools is long-term work, and we need to better sustain folks who work within the educational system. Like we know tons of teachers leave the profession after five years. And in order to bring about the change we would like to see, we know we're going to need people in here for much longer than five years. And so we want people to enjoy the education system, enjoy their jobs and have the life they want to have, but also be sustained by people who are on the same path as them formalizing continuous meetups after the event or the gathering is going to allow us to refill your energy being around people who are like-minded and are doing the same kind of work as you are. We want to make this a continual thing that's not just a one-time event, but a, a living, breathing network of people that lives on. Talk more about some of the barriers that teachers face in creating classrooms that are organized around values of social justice. There's lots of different things that are difficult. The issues that exist in society are not left at the classroom door. They're brought into your classroom. So even though you like to have a conversation about like homophobia, for example, in your classroom, students are still prejudiced and discriminatory beliefs are brought into the classroom. So it's navigating that with young people. That is a challenge. On a larger scope or a more systemic scope to that is trying to value those things that maybe aren't necessarily as important within the curriculum or on an exam. A lot of times is that social justice education is viewed as an extra to the curriculum. It's not the heart of the curriculum. It's just an aside thing that some teachers who are passionate about include, but not every student receives that education. And so what I would argue is that social justice is not an option for people to learn about. I think it should be mandatory that we have these conversations and understand how issues of justice and equity and privilege work and that students should have the opportunity to explore and engage with these ideas in a critical way. Some of the structures of how we operate curricularly and through assessment also need to consider how do we incorporate social justice education into those models, or maybe those models need to change as well. There are a ton of barriers in education that they're facing. Like I mentioned, the school to prison pipeline is something that's been really loud in our work over the number of years. And the more we engage with more marginalized communities, I hear from a lot of students about unconscious bias and how, you know, comments or even just microaggressions by teachers, how it results in this accumulation of humiliation where, you know, there's a pulling back of students and students who do speak up often are not fully heard. And so creating those spaces where they can is really important. There's also these conversations a lot about the presence of law enforcement in schools, the streaming of students. Then some groups, whether they even have the accessibility into the schools, we see a lot of children with disabilities really struggling to be in a really constructive learning environment where they're included. So there's a lot of barriers. 
I think this conformist approach to schooling really limits us in being able to include and create spaces where students can contribute in a meaningful way beyond just getting the good grade. If you look historically at schools, they've often been places that just perpetuate privilege that already exists in society. So part of the aim of social justice education is how do you break that perpetual cycle? Part of the network in this gathering is to strike up a dialogue, not just with those of us who are tuned into these issues, but also to those who are not. And we have to start talking about it. And it's hard to talk about it because we're giving a systemic critique to our system. And that's important. Quite often, it's easier to put the blame on students than it is on the system, right? It's easier to say that student didn't work hard, didn't try hard enough. They should do this. They should do that. When really the systemic issues that plague the system aren't addressed or even realized. So there's a good conversation that needs to happen there. One of the big things that came up really loud in the gathering is something that we really needed to look at was the use of expulsions and suspensions in schools and how we're really contributing to this culture of criminalization of young people. That often becomes racialized as well. And moving to a restorative approach would not only be more child-centered and more holistic, but move away from this criminalization that's happening with young people. So I recognize that it's still early days for the network, but what do you dream that eventually it might be able to accomplish in the face of these barriers? It's hard to say. I try not to look too much in the future of this, but I think there is value of a gathering or a group like ours that had offshoots throughout the province that would support educators where they're at, whether it's in rural or urban environments or on reserve, and allowing educators to have a community to draw upon to gain the courage and strength it will take to bring these conversations to light to set our glare towards the educational disparities, not upon individual students, but on larger systemic issues. But at the same time, it has to be organic. And that's not for me to impose my own beliefs or desires on the group, but the group will grow in the way that it needs to grow. From my perspective, I think the opportunities and possibilities are really to build the circle of people who are committed to improving the systems or to change And building networks of support starts to build that confidence and that strength. So I think through this work, little ripples can make quite a big impact. My hope is creating alternative spaces for professional development for teachers that is independent and more critical and radical. Having those spaces where teachers can really dig into these issues and empower each other and themselves. So I think through the basis of building capacity and networking, that's where I see the real value in this. That's what I see. It's just a stronger network that's independent. What scope do you see to build relationships with teachers unions around some of these questions? The Alberta Teachers Association, they do some work with social justice education. They host an equity, diversity, and human rights conference once a year. With roughly, I believe it's like 50 to 75 teachers who come out to that, and I've been a number of times over the years. Some other, other committees do that kind of work as well. What we would like to see is that in the future, should the ATA really want to engage with folks like us, that we could have that conversation, what that looks like. But I think for us, it's staying true to our values of social justice and equity and being independent. We don't want to be steamrolled or governed by anybody else and what they would like us to do. The ATA does their work and there's some really good work that they're doing. But I think for us right now to remain grassroots, to remain independent of anybody is what will work best for us. But there's always opportunity to collaborate. And it's also recognizing that the history of unions and that while unions are really valuable, we don't want that influence. Having that independence from the union is a really, in my mind, a critical piece of the puzzle for now. 
It's going to be important to engage and work with BAT, but for the meantime, it's time for us to really build our core and our foundation, and that will come. So in your experience in the classroom, Dan, what social justice issues are the ones that resonate the most, are of most concern to the students that you work with? It depends on the context of which I'm teaching. When I was teaching at Inner City High here in Edmonton, majority of my students were Indigenous. So, you know, Indigenous issues, treaty issues, missing and murdered Indigenous women, those were the focus of a lot of our social justice work because that's what connected to the lives of students the most. Where I'm at now, there's two issues that we're focusing on. One of the big issues that really developed over the last year and this year is Black Lives Matter. That's at the heart of a lot of students. It gets brought up over and over again, and students have shared stories of, you know, being at the mall and having security trail them at the mall just because they're shopping. They haven't done anything wrong. They surmise that's because of the color of their skin, they're being surveilled. That's something that happens to young people a lot. And then they talk about different experiences they've faced of racism in the world. So Black Lives Matter is definitely a major, major issue that I'm seeing in the classroom. And then the other one, I think is the most difficult to take on in the classroom, the issue of homophobia and transphobia. A lot of times I think we hear stories of young people being so far ahead of the adults, but in my experience, that's just not true. The most difficult issue to talk about is LGBTQ issues in the classroom still, in my experience. So a large part of my role is to try and dismantle that as much as possible in the short time I have with students. So what's going to be happening on the ground for the Rad Educator Network over the next while? In the next couple of months, we have a number of meetups that are scheduled. So we're actually meeting tomorrow. Uh, And this was recorded back in uh, mid-September. For our our first meetup post the gathering in the summer, we're meeting in Edmonton and we're just gathering with whoever can make it to come out for a coffee or a beer. And we'll just kind of reconnect and talk about our summers and talk about how the startup of the school year has been going and just kind of get the ball rolling for the school year. In October, we have a meetup planned to go visit my old school, Inner City High School. They do things in a little more alternative of a way. And so it'll be a site visit for us to go and, and see education from that point of view. Throughout the school year, we're looking at somewhat of a monthly kind of meetup to keep us all connected, to keep us all motivated, and to continue to grow the community. And as that happens, we'll invite folks into that community who are looking for that space. Tangible next steps on my end is, of course, I'm always trying to identify the resources to make this happen. We all committed to doing another gathering next year, so my sites are kind of on that. In addition to that, in our partnership with the Alberta Somali Community Centre, They are really mobilizing their parents and students right now. So in October, we've set aside two weekends to work with them. We had a workshop earlier in August with a few people from the RAD Network and some teachers from the Somali community in that movie really pulled out what are those things that parents and students really need to know and understand and how they need to navigate things. So it's really starting to form the basis of tools and education for community to be able to better advocate within the school systems. We're really excited for what's been started here and what this group can do and where we're going in the future. A lot of people, when they look at social justice and equity in Alberta, it is a difficult, tall mountain and change takes a long, long time. So the main thing I think we're looking at is how do we sustain ourselves in this work over the time it will take to ensure that every student can experience the education system in a just and equitable way. You have been listening to my interview with René Vaugeois of the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights and Dan Scratch of the RAD Educator Network. To learn more about their work, go to jhcenter.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.